Well, good morning. I want to greet those of you who are here on our campus, those at our Mill Creek campus, those watching online, those who are watching by television. I want you to know I was up at 4 o'clock this morning praying for you. You say, man, are you that holy? No, I'm still on Israel time and I can't sleep. So anyway, it's really, really great to be back. I appreciate you letting me be gone. It was a great trip to Israel. It's always a sweet time. It's always great to be back home. In September of 2016, Pope Francis stood before a large crowd in Vatican City and declared that the Roman Catholic Church had canonized and officially made Mother Teresa a saint. Now, the process of sainthood in the Catholic Church is called canonization, and it normally takes a long time. But Mother Teresa set a record. She was made a saint six years after she died. Nobody in the history of the Catholic Church had ever been a saint, been made a saint that fast. And it tells you how venerated she was and how loved she was and how admired she was and how respected she was. Having devoted her life to serving the poor, the sick, and the dying in the slums of Calcutta, India, I have been to where she was. I have walked into that place. And what she did there was absolutely amazing. She would walk into a place where you could literally smell death yards away before you walked into that building and selflessly and tirelessly gave herself to helping people die. But not everybody supported her canonization. Not everybody thought that she should be a saint. You may be sitting there going, what? Mother Teresa, how could anybody keep her, at least if you're a Catholic and believe what they believe about sainthood, how could anybody be against that? Well, the reason why some people were against it was because they were bothered by some private thoughts that she had actually written in a journal that was discovered after she died. And what they revealed was that this woman of exceptional commitment and sacrifice and you would think faith was also a woman of very deep doubt. Because shortly after beginning her work in Calcutta, she wrote these words. Where is my faith? Even deep down, there's nothing but emptiness and darkness. Now, this is Mother Teresa. If there be a God, please forgive me. And then toward the end of her life, she wrote these words. What do I labor for? If there be no God, there can be no soul. If there can be no soul, then Jesus, you also are not true. And then finally, she wrote this. I want God with all the power of my soul, and yet between us, there is terrible separation. Now think about that. This is Mother Teresa. Probably, along with Billy Graham and two or three others, the most famous Christian in the 20th century. A towering symbol of sacrificial service to God. Someone who millions of people believe should be called now Saint Teresa. But she doubted God. You don't need to raise your hand, but I got a question for you. You ever doubted God? I have. More than once in my life, more than once in my ministry. I have doubted God. And if you've ever doubted God, don't be ashamed and don't be afraid to admit it because you're in good company because when you read the Bible, it's amazing. Some of the greatest figures in the Bible doubted God. Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible really wondered about God. But that's not where I'm going today. 
You see, there's a huge difference between doubting God and denying God. Today, there's this movement called New Atheism. How many of you have heard of the New Atheists? Just see how up on the times you are. You ought, you ought to kind of keep up what's going on in the culture because there's this movement called New Atheism. It was a term that was coined in 2006. And it's actually a brand of militant atheism that not only denies the existence of God, that's as old as the, as, as the world. I mean, people have denied God. I mean, that goes all the way back almost to the Garden of Eden. But what is different about this brand of atheism is not only are these people who deny the reality of God, they deny the existence of God. They actually say that belief in God is the greatest danger there is today to humanity. They believe that people like us are more danger, are dangerous than terrorists. They believe that we're the real problem in the world. They say that belief in God is the greatest single danger to humanity and what humanity ought to be all of which brings us to this series that we're beginning today that I'm calling Music to My Ears. Because we're gonna be looking at some Psalms, and if you don't know much about the Psalms, let me kind of catch you up. Back in the day when you were, if you were, if you'd been around when these Psalms were first written, they weren't scripture, they weren't written as scripture, they were written as songs. And, and, and when these first were put to, to uh, you know, to, uh, letters to writing, they were not just read, they were not just preached, they were actually Sung. And that brings us to this whole subject of God because there's some Psalms, there's some particular Psalms that really talk about God in a very special way. Now, all the Bible's about God, and I know that, and you know that, but there are some Psalms that particularly just really focus on the subject of God in a challenging, comforting, clarifying way that I believe will make us hopefully want to turn these scriptures into music. To our ears. And today, I want you to turn, I'm going to call it song, not psalm. I want you to turn to song 14. Song 14. And I want to kind of, I want you to kind of imagine, I'm not preaching today, I'm playing a soundtrack. And today we start with a song that's going to answer this question. Why should we believe in God? And what is wrong with not believing in God? More than ever in my ministry, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm getting now? I'm having parents call me or send me emails and say, can you help me? My son or my daughter, they're turning to atheism. They, they no longer believe even in the existence of God. And this song was really written for people like that. Now, here's kind of something that I didn't know about. It's kind of interesting. The word atheism didn't even appear in the English language until the 16th century. The Oxford English Dictionary documents the first use of the word goes back to 1568 when it was actually borrowed from another language. And in a relatively short time, the word made its way into common everyday usage. So up until about 550 years ago, nobody even used the word atheist and it kind of came into the language. But even back then, it's different than what it's, the way it was used today. Then it was used to describe something that was thought to be new and unique which was an unadulterated, uncompromised belief in our uh, denial of belief in God at all. Now, let me just stop and kind of answer a question. You may be sitting there thinking, why are we talking about this in church? I mean, probably 99.99% .99 of the people who are listening to this message right now, you believe in God. As a matter of fact, only 2.4% of Americans claim to be full-blown atheists. You know, so 98 out of 100 people you meet on the street, they will not tell you they're an atheist. Only two out of 100 would even say, yeah, that's what I am. I am an atheist. And I understand that the vast majority of people that come to church are not atheists. However, 
If any of the following things are true about you or have been true about you, or if you know someone it may be true of them, you might be interested in this message. For example, you've never had a serious interest in spiritual matters. You might want to pay attention. You may have had a very strict religious upbringing, but you've since rejected everything you were taught to believe. Might want to listen. Life is going so well for you at the moment, you don't even see why you need God at all. You might want to listen. Life is going so bad with you that you've given up on the idea that there's a God who loves you and cares for you. I really want you to listen. You've come to the conclusion that science explains reality and there's no need for a God figure, nor is there even evidence that one exists. You feel even to deal with a question is a waste of time. If any of those things have been or are true of you, I want you to listen to this groundbreaking 14th Psalm where a king by the name of David tackles the question of belief in God and he tells us there are basically three ways you can relate to God. He says there are basically three things you can do with God in your heart and in your mind. Number one, you can reject the reality of God. Some people do. You can reject the reality of God. Now, we begin with perhaps the most profound statement in God's word about atheism. Listen to what David said. David said, the fool says in his heart, quote, there is no God, unquote. Now, I'll tell you, I've read the Bible through many times, and one of the things that fascinates me about the Bible, if I had never read the Bible, and you'd come to me and you'd have said, hey, what do you think the Bible deals with? What are some topics you think the Bible deals with? What, what do you think would be in the Bible? Well, the first thing I want, you know, one of the things I would think about immediately was, I'd say, I want to know all the things that God has. I want to know all the arguments God has against atheism and all the, all the ways that God deals with atheism. And here's what's a shocker. There are 41,173 verses in the Bible, and God gives one half of one verse to the atheist. That's all he says. There, there are 774,746 words in the Bible. Ten words are given to the atheist. As a matter of fact, the atheist says to God, you're not even there. There is no you. God replies back with one word, fool. That's all he says, this fool. Now, if you are an atheist, if you've, or you've tended to be kind of an atheist in your life at some time, you've got to admit there is something humorous about God referring to someone who doesn't even believe in him. I mean, there's something kind of humorous. I, I read about a little boy that was raised in an atheistic family, and his mom was an atheist, his dad was an atheist, and they preached atheism every single day, and they were having dinner one night, and out of the blue, the little boy looked at his mom and dad, and he said, can I ask you a question? They said, sure. He said, do you think God knows we don't believe in him? I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting. Now, now, let me just be clear about something, okay? Because just in case there's an atheist in the room or an atheist at one of our campuses or just in case you're an atheist right now and you're listening to this message or will be, I want you to understand David is not being condescending. But, because the question here, when he talks about the, the fool, he's not talking about the intelligence of an atheist. He's not talking about the brilliance of the atheist. And I know that because of the word that he uses, for fool, because in the Hebrew language, there are actually three basic words for the word fool. One word refers to a dull, stupid person. The kind of, you know, when we use that word, that's kind of what we mean. You know, you're just a fool. You know, we, what you mean, you're, you're just a dumb, stupid person. That's not the word he uses here. Uh, another word refers to an unreasonable and a perverted person. That's not the word that David uses here either. The word that is used here refers to a person 
who's kind of like a stubborn animal. In other words, an atheist can be brilliant. In fact, some atheists are. An atheist can have an IQ that's off the charts like Stephen Hawking. Nobody, I would not deny, deny that Stephen Hawking was one brilliant person. The reason why David uses this word is because I want to clue you in on something. The next, if you ever talk to an atheist, and I'm dealing with one right now, by the way, if you ever talk to an atheist, here's what you need to understand. The problem with an atheist is not intellectual. They'll, they'll, they'll pretend it is, it's not. The problem with the atheist is not intellectual. The problem with the atheist is spiritual because the fool that is spoken about here does not have a mental problem in his head. He has a moral problem in his heart. Now, something we'll come back to in just a moment. However, I find it very interesting. I was reading up on these new atheists the other day and I found it interesting that they don't like to be called atheists, okay? Here's what they like to be called. You ready for this? They like to be called brights, B-R-I-G-H-T-S. They like to be called brights as in, I am a bright. And they define a bright as someone who is free of any belief in God. They're free of any belief in the supernatural. As a matter of fact, one of these new atheists said this, and I'm quoting, we brights don't believe in ghosts or elves or the Easter bunny or God. They put God in the same category as ghosts and elves and Easter bunnies. And yet they don't realize that even brilliant PhDs with the IQs of a genius can be spiritually foolish. I mean, there are PhDs who intellectually understand E equals MC squared, but spiritually they can't even say they're ABCs. I've met them. I've known them. I've, I've studied under them. This verse is not referring to people who don't believe, just, you know, just, who just don't believe in God or say there is no God. It's, it's more than that. In the Hebrew text, the word there is in, in Psalm 1, you know, only the fool said in his heart, there is no God. If you look in your Bible, some of your versions have the word there is in italics. And the reason why those words are in italics is because in the original Hebrew text, those words are not there. If you literally translate Psalm 14, 1, this is what the verse says. The fool says in his heart, no God, no God. In other words, this is a person who doesn't, he doesn't just say, I don't believe in God. This is a person who says, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want God to have anything to do with me. Now, the reason why I still believe it's good to preach a sermon like this, even though probably 99% of us believe in God, is because there's more than one kind of atheist. As a matter of fact, this may be the most important part of the message because it may refer to you more than you think. See, there are actually two kinds of atheists. We'll call one the intellectual atheist. He denies the reality of God. He believes there is no God. Okay, and there's not a lot of people like that, but there are some. I'm dealing with them right now. They believe, or they'll even say, I know there is no God. And I'll come back to that in a moment because that's really a foolish statement. But they say, I do not believe there's a God, okay? I understand there's probably not one of you in this room right now. There's probably not anybody in our church right now that would fit that bill, okay? But there's another kind of atheist. There's what I call the practical atheist. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me just put it to you this way. In my ministry and in my life, I've met a lot more practical atheists than I have intellectual atheists. In fact, I want you to chew on this. I want you to think about this. The biggest fool in the world is not the person who says he doesn't believe in God. The biggest fool in the world is the person who says he believes in God but then doesn't live like it. 
That's the biggest fool in the world. And may I tell you something? May I be honest? I'm not being fussy or anything. I'm just telling you. There have been times I've been a practical atheist in my life. And I promise you there have been times you've been a practical atheist in your life. And we practice far more practical atheism than we would care to admit. Because let me give you some examples of what I call a practical atheist. The practical atheist person is a person who says he believes in God but never prays to him and gives very little thought to him or serves him. Oh, I believe in God. They'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, of course, I know there's a God. Sure, there's a God. But you don't pray to him much. Not really. You don't read his word much. No. And you don't really serve him. No. And I thought, really, he's not really on my radar screen a lot. Here's another one. The practical atheist is the person who says he believes the Bible is the word of God, but never reads it, studies it, or bothers to obey it. A lot of those people. The practical atheist is the person who says hell and heaven are real, but then acts like he or she doesn't care whether other people go to heaven or hell. So see, there's more than one kind of atheist. And so regardless of whether or not a person is an intellectual or a practical atheist, either by your belief or by your behavior, you can reject the reality of God. That's one way that you can practice atheism. Here's a second way that you can relate to God. You can ridicule any response to God. You, you can reject the reality of God. I just don't believe in God. I just don't buy the idea. I'm not gonna behave. I'm not gonna live like there is a God. Or you can say, you know, I'm gonna ridicule any response to God because I want you to watch this now. We have seen what the atheist says about God, right? No God, no God. Don't want anything to do with God. There's no God, no God. Now let's see what God says about the atheist. Here's what he says. He says they are, he didn't say they're dumb. He didn't say they're ignorant. He didn't say they're stupid. He didn't say they're you know, just, just out of their minds. He says they're corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. Notice God's not dealing with their brain. He's dealing with their heart. He's not dealing with their intellect. He's dealing with their morals. He, he's, he's not dealing with their intellectual intelligence. He's dealing with their moral integrity. And this is so very, very, it took me a long time to understand. It's so important. You will never, ever understand true atheism until you realize it is not a mental problem. It is a moral problem. Early in my ministry, when I would deal with people who didn't believe in God, I'd deal with agnostics, I'd deal with atheists. I would always try to deal with them just on a pure intellectual plane. So I'd have all my apologetic tricks in my bag, you know, and I'd, I'd try to reason here and I'd try to argue there and reason here and argue there. and I'd try to give this fact and give that fact. And finally, I woke up one day and realized your problem's not in your head. Your problem is in your heart. You don't have a mental problem. You have a moral problem. You don't have an intellectual problem. You have a spiritual problem. It's not a head problem. It's a heart problem because here's what I finally learned. An atheist is not someone who cannot believe in God. That person does not exist. An atheist is not someone who cannot believe in God. An atheist is someone who will not believe in God and does not want to believe in God. Because here's what God does. God takes a spiritual x-ray, not of the head of the atheist. He takes a spiritual x-ray of the heart of the atheist, of the person who says there is no God. And here's what God sees. The real reason why the atheist wants to deny God is not because there's no evidence that God exists. This atheist that I'm dealing with right now, I've been dealing with this person for two years. 
And just the last meeting that, that I had with this person was about a week or two ago, about two weeks ago. And what this person keeps saying to me is, you just haven't given me any evidence that God exists. And I looked at that person and I said, your problem is not that there's no evidence that God exists. Your problem is, the, is, is that you refuse to admit the evidence and see the evidence that is already there. And I said, your problem is God is a threat to you because you want to be your own God. Now, don't take my word for this. Thomas Nagel, you may know that name. If you don't, that's all right, N-A-G-L-E. He is a leading atheist. He's a part of this new atheistic movement. I really admire this man because at least he's honest enough to admit the truth. I want you to listen. Now, this isn't what I said. This is what he says. I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. Now, listen to, listen to this. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It is that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the, the universe to be like that. Now, why does he not want that? And why do so many people not want that? Why is it that more and more it, right here in our own country, people either live or really say uh, they want to live as if there is no God? Well, it's real easy. Think about it. If there is no God, there is no judgment. If there is no judgment, there's no need to worry about eternal punishment. If there's no judgment and eternal punishment, you can live any way you want to. You can choose to live any lifestyle you want to with any repercussions or consequences whatsoever. As a matter of fact, just a few songs back, another songwriter wrote these words. Why has the wicked person despised God? What's this? He says to himself, you will not require an account. See, if the atheist is right, can I just be honest? If the atheist is right, you can get away with anything. If the atheist is right, Hitler got away with it. Stalin got away with it. Pol Pot got away with it. Everybody gets away with it. If there is no God, at the end of the day, there's no judgment and there's no eternal punishment, you can get away with anything. There's no judgment and there is no justice. A Russian philosopher by the name of Dostoevsky wrote, and he's to totally right. He said, if God does not exist, then everything's permissible. That's true. Who are you to impose your beliefs on me? Who are you to say what is right and who is wrong? You may believe that marriage ought to be between, an, between a man and a woman. That's just your opinion. You may believe it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage. That's just your opinion. You may believe this, you may believe that, and you know what, if they're right. If there's no God, we don't have principles that never change. All we've got are opinions. And once you reach this point in your life, here's what you'll find. You don't just reject the reality of God. Here's what will happen. You will begin to ridicule any response to God. And this, you watch it, because we're seeing it right now happen in our own society. You become more intolerant. As a matter of fact, you become most intolerant toward people who claim to know God and worship God. As a matter of fact, David goes on to write this stanza in this song in verse four. Do all these evildoers know nothing? Now listen to what he says about these, these people who don't believe in God. They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. 
That's why the biggest guns of these new atheists, who are they aimed at? Believers, Christians, the church. That's why they say we are the most dangerous people to humanity in all of the world. Now, let me just stop right here and I want to help some of you this morning. I am not one to complain and I'm not one to whine. And I've heard people say this in the last several years and it really does great on my nerves. People say, man, we're under such persecution now in this country. Read my lips. We're not under persecution. I can take you to some countries. You want to see real persecution? I can take you to some countries where Christians are under persecution. Are we under intense, are we under increasing criticism? Yes. Is there increasing disdain for who we are? Yes. Is there, is, are we increasingly being made fun of, being marginalized, being criticized? Absolutely. But we're not under any kind of severe persecution. Here's what I am saying. The further people move away from the reality of God, the more they will ridicule any response to God. The further people move away from the reality of God, the more they will ridicule any response to God. I just want you to understand where the atheist is coming from. It's not merely an intellectual position. It is a spiritual position. It's not primarily a mental position. It is a moral position. It's real easy. Take away the police. In fact, let me give you a hypothetical situation. I want you to imagine that uh, it, came, it came out in the news today that uh, tomorrow, every policeman, every state patrol officer, every sheriff, every law enforcement uh, officer in the state of Georgia will be on vacation. What do you think the speed limit would be going to Atlanta tomorrow? <laughs> You're right. Take away the police. You can go as fast as you want to go. Take away the judge. We all get all free. Take away God. And as Billy Joel sings, I don't need you to worry about me because I'm all right. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life and leave me alone. Thank God right now that I didn't sing that, okay? But you've heard that song, right? That's exactly the philosophy you can have if there is no God. First of all, you reject the reality of God. Then you ridicule the response, any response to God. Now, those are two ways you can relate to God. I reject his reality. I say, no, God, I don't believe in God. I even go further and ridicule any response to God. If you do believe in God, you're an idiot. You're a dummy. You're a fool. You're a danger to society or... Or you can rejoice in a relationship with God. You can rejoice in a relationship with God. Now, I want you to watch David, what David does. Rather than give this long argument to the atheist, because after I after, tell you, when I was a young boy growing up and I became a believer, I began to look for, you know, read the Bible from a viewpoint. So what does God say about it? What are all the arguments God gives for his existence and his reality? And how does God handle these people who say they don't even believe in God? And yet what David does in this song, he makes just one statement in verse five that sums up the other side of the issue. He says, for God is present in the company of the righteous. God is present in the company of the righteous. Now, who are the righteous? Well, David's been talking about people who say, no God. 
David's been talking about people who turn away from God. David's been talking about people who do not seek God. So who are the righteous? Well, they're simply the people who say, you know what? I am gonna turn to God. I am going to trust God. I am going to seek God. I am going to believe God. Now, let me just stop right there. See, see, the the, the difference between the believer and the unbeliever is one only looks with his eyes, like this person I'm dealing with right now, and, 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 and the other looks with both his eyes and his heart because here's what these new atheists do. And, and I confronted this person not long ago and it made that person mad. That didn't really bother me. But here's what they do. These new atheists play a trick. Here's what they do. When this person first came to see me, this person started out and said, okay, now you need to understand how this is gonna work. And I said, okay. And they said, now, first of all, you're a believer. I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, you live by faith. And I looked at that person and I said, well, I got news for you. So do you. You live by faith. As a matter of fact, a, a, a Wisconsin University professor who has a PhD from Oxford University, who is an atheist, he once admitted this to his class and told the truth about his atheism. He said this, even as the evangelical Christian accepts God by faith, I reject the idea of God by faith. I cannot reject God by reason alone, for there's too much evidence of his existence. It is by faith that I am an atheist. I told this person, when we first started meeting, we had this first conversation. I said, let me tell you one thing I do admire about you. And, and, and the person said, okay, what's that? I said, you have so much more faith than I do. What do you mean? I said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I just don't have, the, I just don't have enough faith to do that. And, and, and so what do you mean? I said, well, I said, let me example. I said, have you ever, have you ever been around our campus? No. I said, well, I'd be glad to show you. I said, we got about 400,000 square feet of buildings here. And I said, you know, it used to be a military complex, man, they, 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 we manufactured cruise missiles and over here, and this was a warehouse, and this was an office building. And I said, now, I want you to imagine that I said to you, you are not going to believe how these buildings got here. There was an explosion in Home Depot, and this just came together. I said, now, you would look at me as if I've lost my mind. But you want me to believe that this entire universe, there was just kind of a big bang and something came from nothing and voila, here we are. I said, I'll be honest, I just don't have that kind of faith. And what I want you to understand is we have every right to ask the atheist, what do you base your belief on just as much as they have the right to ask us? Because here's the trick now they play. You ready to watch that? And next time this, they play this on you, you need, to, you need to kind of play it back to them. Here's what they say. I have to assume that you're wrong until you prove that you're right. And you have to assume that I'm right until you prove that I am wrong. And what this person wanted to do with me in, in our first conversation was they wanted to set up this unlevel playing field. And I said, no, we're not gonna do that. I said, look, here's, here's the problem. When it comes to God, either you have faith that he does exist or you have faith that he doesn't exist and it's incumbent upon one of us or both of us to prove our case. You gotta tell me why you believe there is no God. I'm gonna tell you why there is. You've gotta show me the evidence there is no God. I need to show you evidence that I believe points that there is a God. That's why at the end of the day, it, listen, this, is so, this part's so good, you need to hear this. 
At the end of the day, it really is impossible to claim to be an atheist. It, it really is. And, and let me tell you why. The next time somebody says to you, I am an atheist, you need to say, okay, what do you mean by that? And if they dogmatically look at you and say, well, what I mean by that is there's no God. Well, that's a nonsensical statement. And let me tell you why. In logic, you learn this is a principle of logic. It is impossible to prove a universal negative. It is impossible to prove a universal negative. So let me give you an example. Do I believe there's life on other planets? I don't. Do I know there's life? There's no life on other planets? I don't know that. You don't know that. You know why? Because I've never been to every other planet. I've never been to the corners of the universe. I don't know what's out there. I just have a belief. I really don't know. And when somebody says there is no God, let me tell you why that's just, that's just an impossible statement to make. Because unless you've been everywhere in the universe at the same time and existed throughout all of time and know everything that is possible to know, you cannot know that God does not exist. That is an impossibility. Can't happen. And that leads to one of the most unbelievable things that ever happened in my life. Some of you have heard this story before. It's one of my favorite stories. A lot of you haven't, so it bears repeating. And I want to tell you, it's absolutely, it's one of the two or three most unbelievable things that ever happened in my ministry. I was pastoring in Mississippi. And I don't even remember what I was preaching on this particular Sunday morning. We had a big shotgun auditorium. And <clears throat> so this guy, after, after service was over, I'd been dealing with some people, made decisions. And this guy walks up to me, big guy, about 6'4", weighed about 220. And his name was Dan, I found out. I'd never met the guy before. He walks up to me, he was shaking like a leaf, had tears in his eyes. He says, I got to see you right now. I got to talk to you right now. And I said, okay, just a minute. And I'll do it with somebody. And I kind of stepped aside. He said, I, I got to talk to you privately. I got to talk to you privately. I said, okay, we can back to my office. Sat down and he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, you, you, you preached about Jesus today. And you preached that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And he's the only way to God. And I said, well, yeah, I, I believe that. He said, do you really, 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 really believe what you preached today? And I said, well, yeah. I, I said, I, I do. He said, well, I, listen, he said, my wife needs God. She, she needs God. He said, would you go see her? I said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go see her. He said, I want you to promise me you'll go see her. I said, I, I promise you I'll go see her. He said, I want you to shake my hand and give me your word as a man of God. You'll go see my wife. Now, this just thought's weird, you know? And I said, okay. I, I shook his hand. I said, I promise, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go see her. He said, okay. He said, now, let me tell you about my wife. I said, sure. He said, she is an atheist, full-blown atheist, and she hates preachers. But you promised me. You told me you'd go see my wife. I said, okay. I said, oh, you know, I'll, I'll go see her. Well, I did, and I did. So the following Tuesday night, he wanted to make sure he was out of town. He was a pilot, so I'm going to be out of town next Tuesday night. So the following Tuesday night, Teresa and I get in our car. They live about five miles outside of our town where I pastored. We drove out. They live in a double-wide trailer. I walk up, and I knock on the door. And this woman opens the door. She doesn't have any makeup on. She's wearing these big, thick glasses, got her hair wrapped up in Coke cans. And she said, um, what do you want? Just like that. And I said, well, I said, your, your name is Diane. She says, yeah, I'm Diane. I'm Diane Bailey. And I said, well, Diane, I said, uh, and I have her permission to tell the story, by the way. I said, well, hey, my name is James Merritt. I said, this is my wife, Teresa. I'm from Highland Church, and, and I've come to visit you. I mean, just like that, she said, I'm going to tell you right, stuff right there. I, I'm an atheist, and I hate preachers. I said, I've heard all about you. I said, I, I, I understand that. But I said, look, it's, it was the middle of July, burning up hot, 90 degrees. I said, look, we drove all the way out here to see you, would you at least, would you just give me 10 minutes of your time? She said, I'll give you two. I said, I'll take it. 
So we walk in, sit down. She's watching her clock. I mean, she's, she's serious. I got two minutes. So you know, I just jump in. I said, look, I said, well, let me just ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? She said, I told you I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in heaven, much less God. Why would you even ask me that question? Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, that kind of stumped me. I've never had anybody respond that way before. Normally, they'll just say yes or no. And so I said, um, boy, I, I, really, I didn't know what to say. So I looked over at Teresa. Teresa is looking out the window, and she's humming that Billy Joel song, I didn't start the fire, you know, just <laughs> mind her own business. Well, I really didn't know what to say. And I said, I really didn't. I was stumped. I didn't have a clue how to respond. And, and, and that's when the Holy Spirit took, took over. And I said, well, now, so Diane, I said, you're an atheist. What do you mean by that? She says, there is no God. I know there's no God. And I said, you, you're saying you know there's no God. I said, yeah. She said, yeah. And I said, well, let, let me ask you a question. I said, now, none of this was planned. I'm telling you, none of this was planned. I said, well, Diane, would you say you know everything there's no about everything? She said, well, nobody knows everything there is to know about everything. I said, well, would you say you know half of everything there is to know about everything? She said, well, no, I, I wouldn't say that either. I said, well, let me, let's just be generous. Let's say you know half of everything there is to know about everything. Let's say that, that you know that. She said, okay. I said, all right, we're going to have two barrels. Here, we're going to put everything you know in this barrel. And over here, we're going to put everything you don't know in this barrel. I said, now, would you agree in the barrel of knowledge that you do not have God could exist. Is that true? Well, I mean, you just, you look like you hit her in the head with a brick. She said, well, yeah, I guess that's true. And then she kind of smiled. She said, well, look, you know, be honest with you. She said, um, I don't know whether there's a God or not. I said, well, now we're getting somewhere. 